Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And continuing the reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 16. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, Oh, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. Thank you. A child changes everything. New parents know this. I suppose uh, the new parents are amidst uh, people like uh, Valentin y Lorena and Rohan and Suratha. Your, your world has changed quite a bit this year, hasn't it? We think back to those of us who have had children in our home. Maybe, maybe we have given birth to children. Maybe we've welcomed children into our homes through adoption or through foster care. Uh, many of us, I, I look out and see that there are probably many grandparents, maybe even some great-grandparents among us, who when those children are welcomed into our families, it disrupts a little bit of our treasured schedule. And, and what we have grown accustomed to. What you do during the day. The things that you do, uh, especially with infants, the constant care and the feeding that becomes the way you organize your life. The changes, like whether or not you get sleep at night. Whether it's waking up to feed an infant who needs to be fed at regular intervals through the night and they 
might even let you know it through their cries that are meant to reach your ears and awaken you. Or when they're toddlers and they get scared and they climb into bed with you and start squirming around and maybe even literally kick you out of bed. It changes what you shop for. There's new food, new clothes, new furniture, new gadgets to buy. It changes how much you have to prepare just to go on an outing to the store. And what about entertainment choices? For many parents who are expecting, they have no idea that the, the animated film entertainment industry that they left years ago is about to become their stock and trade for the next decade. Well, when you create space for children in your life, it changes you. How you live, what you do, what you enjoy. And this is true for all who open their world to children. Whether it's, like I said, parenting, grandparenting, foster care. It could include mentoring or teaching. To some extent, when you think about it, each one of our stories began when we entered the world as a child. And it made an impact, like a ripple on a pond when a pebble is thrown in. On the day of our birth, the world changed a little. It did. There's no denying it. And for some people who were on the earth, when us, the little pebble, was thrown into the pond, their lives changed in a big way. A child changes everything. This is the true message of Christmas. In Advent, we remember that God's people waited patiently for the Messiah over long years. And we identify with their vigil as we wait in wonder during Advent, counting the days. We recall that God's Messiah, the one who would continue God's reign and pursue God's purposes on the earth, did arrive we affirm that on this fourth Sunday in Advent. But according to the prophecy and the testimony of the Gospels, we affirm that this Messiah came in the form of a child, no less. When you think about it, it's quite surprising. When you think that someone who would have such a powerful impact on the world came into the world in such vulnerability. But it's not unexpected. The imagination of God's people had been prepared, had been provoked. Isaiah's prophecy includes a number of references to a child who would be born. Perhaps none memorable, more memorable than the scripture verse read today, Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call his name Emmanuel. This child would change everything for God's people. It's a child in the royal succession in the line of King David. Ah, it makes sense. Yes, where there is a succession within a family, there is great attention paid to the birth 
of children who would be raised up to the throne. This line of David had a double meaning. More than just an earthly king, it was the one in the line of God's anointing that began with Samuel's anointing of David. It was for a leader for God's people. A leader of God's efforts on the entire earth for the blessing of the nations so that people would be blessed and cared for and protected as if God were living right here among us. TBH. That means to be honest. There were some rocky times in Israel's royal history and some unfaithful leaders along the way. But God's promise, God's anointed purpose persisted and always remained firm. And so the promised child was indeed born and human existence was changed for good. The son born to the young woman would be Emmanuel, which means God is with us. From the prophecy of Isaiah, hundreds of years before, fast forward now to the New Testament era. People were trying to make sense of this character that has come upon the scene in Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth. You see, he taught people God's ways. It was the way he shepherded people by healing them and feeding them. The way he spoke with unique authority on behalf of the living God. It all sounded so much like that prophet promised Messiah. Indeed, they remembered how Jesus himself in the synagogue opened up Isaiah's prophecy and read it and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled even as sure as you hear it in your ears right now. And is suffering and death? What to make of that? Believe it or not, that also made amazing messianic sense. For Isaiah had helped God's people imagine that the one God would send to save would suffer on behalf of others. The fact that Jesus hadn't appeared out of nowhere in an explosion of heavenly power made a lot of sense with Isaiah's prophecy of the child. I mean, think of yourself being around when Jesus was active in ministry. Maybe you're one of the 12 disciples. Maybe you're one of the many Marys who followed Jesus around. Maybe you're just someone who was curious. Maybe you were someone who came to Jesus for healing. Here's what we know from the gospel accounts. His mom was there. Jesus' mom was there all throughout Jesus' ministry. Number of times the gospel account, the gospel writers made it a point to remind us that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. 
as in, yeah, that's her. Yeah, she's the one right over there. Let's go talk with her. Those who were curious about Jesus' origins no doubt received a firsthand account from the one uniquely qualified to tell the story of the birth of Jesus. Jesus was a son, someone who had been born. And yet he was also Emmanuel, God with us. Indeed, he was the very son of God. In his introduction to what might be called the quintessential outline of the Christian faith, the Apostle Paul begins his letter to the Romans by speaking of the child who has changed everything, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He writes about, and to quote, the gospel of God. The gospel God promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, like Isaiah, regarding God's Son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. This is the apostle Paul's conviction at the heart of the Christian faith. That Jesus is the son of God. That he lived an earthly life as a descendant of David, the promised king who would restore God's reign. His resurrection from the dead is what confirmed his identity. That is what opened everyone's eyes and still does to this day that Jesus is more than just a mere mortal. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the promised child, God's child, through whom the world has been, is being, and will forever be changed. Paul uses the word gospel to describe this world-changing message. And it's a word with roots in Isaiah's prophecy. And it means good news. Good news. Because when we welcome the Christ child into our lives, our lives are changed for good. How might our lives be changed? What kind of impact does Jesus' birth have? Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, but reached his full destiny in his resurrection from the dead in Jerusalem. What impact does this have, not only in our lives, but in our world? We return to Romans. This introductory section of Romans, in these seven verses, Paul starts using some terms that he will go deep into in his outline of the Christian faith. He says and describes what Jesus does in our world and does for us, he uses a term 
a term that a few times is used in the Gospels, but it's really the term that the Apostle Paul and the early church used to describe how we benefit from Jesus, the Son of God. And it's a word that is associated with the English word gift. It's the word grace. Charis in Greek. A word with a similar root as the word for gift. It's a gift that makes us brand new. It takes away our sins and restores us to a right relationship with God. You might have heard how Paul put it later in chapter 6 of his letter to the Romans. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. But perhaps less well-known are three consecutive verses where the Apostle Paul talks about the gift of God's grace in Jesus, and he can't help himself but be excited. He sounds like a child on Christmas morning who comes into where the Christmas tree is and sees all those gifts there and just which one to open first. I can hardly contain myself. Listen to these verses from chapter 5. This is 5, 15 through 17. I'm just going to read two little sections. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And again, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life in life through the one man Jesus Christ sisters and brothers when we receive the gift and recognize what it truly means we start to understand what Paul was talking about we start to have that same passion how much more abundant, overflowing gift of grace. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to assume that we all appreciate when we open up a gift on Christmas, we appreciate it being brand new. That's a safe assumption. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be store-bought. I'm not saying that. You know, whether it's something freshly gathered from a shopping trip and carefully wrapped or caringly handcrafted by the gift giver, one of the aspects that makes Christmas gifts enjoyable is their newness. After all, a true white elephant gift exchange, meaning the, the gifts that are these random, you try the mo to get the most random, hilarity-inducing things that you can wrap up and, and people can, can uh, open up, and it's, it's a great fun. The reason why that's great fun is it's the exception and not the rule, right? So what if the gift-giving at Christmas was all white elephants? That would be tough. It would take the fun out of things real quick. But friends, the gift of grace is a brand new gift from God. And it's also the gift of being made brand new. 
in these opening words of Romans, there are two phrases that do a good job of describing the impact of the gift of grace, the gift of being made brand new. And here they are. Looking at two phrases here. The first is this. This is what happens when we receive the gift of grace. We are loved by God. We are loved by God. This is a deep, forever family kind of love. And if you want to read deeply into what this means, keep on reading in Romans. It's amazing. Paul associates it, even in this text, with the word belonging. Belonging. You belong. When you go home to God's family, You are welcomed with open arms, just as even when you've been a prodigal, just like the father welcomed the prodigal home. You belong in that family. You're welcomed. You're embraced. And that word belonging has a particular importance to many of us in the Reformed faith, Presbyterians among us, because that word factors significantly in the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Wow. That's a big question. To what shall we answer? How shall we answer that question? Well, in the faith, we are brought up to answer that question with belonging. What gives us comfort in this life and even into our death is that we belong not to ourself, but body and soul in life and death belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who holds us firm in covenant love. So we find ourselves loved by God. So the Apostle Paul throws this line out to all those who are loved by God. That's the whole gospel. You're loved by God. You're also given a calling. So we're loved by God. That's what it means to receive the gift of grace in Christ, in the Christ child. We are loved by God, but we're also given a calling, set apart for a purpose, To be God's holy people, those who experience being loved by God, yes, but also those who go into the world to tell others about this gift of grace found through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to think about something right now. It's going to blow your world. It's going to blow your mind. It's going to change your world forever. I'm highly confident of that. Whoever you see from a distance or close up, whoever you meet on this earth for as long as you live from this point forward, without exception, is a person whose life can be made brand new by the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. Without exception. Let us remember that with whatever comes before our eyes, whichever person comes before our path, that this message of being loved by God and given a calling is meant for them as well. Given 
a gift given them by the God who loves them through Jesus, God's son. Their lives, just like ours, can be changed for the good by the child who changes everything. Emmanuel, God with us. The conclusion of this message is an invitation to receive the gift of God's grace in Jesus, the promised Savior, the Son of God. From the Old Testament to the New, the message is the same. And many of the Christmas carol composers through the years have emphasized this in at least one of the verses of the carol. Isaiah said it. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Luke tells us that the angels said it to the shepherds. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. He is the Messiah, the Lord. He is a gift born for us. Pope Francis once said, God never gives someone a gift they are not capable of receiving. If he gives us the gift of Christmas, it is because we all have the ability to understand it and receive it. Receive God's gift of grace through Christ and allow this child to change everything for the good. Amen.